This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. Some residents in Sedamsville have until the end of the month to vacate their homes or face eviction. The homes are being managed by a court-appointed receiver who took control of the property from longtime landlord John Klosterman after a series of legal problems. The Port of Greater Cincinnati is in the process of buying the properties but has not yet closed on the sale. Joining me now to discuss the next steps for residents and what, if anything, the city can do to help are Cincinnati City Council Member Seth Walsh. Welcome back, Council Member Walsh. Thank you for having me on. Great to have you. And WCPO9 reporter Madeline Audley. Thanks for being here, Madeline. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for including me. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. Councilmember Walsh, let's start with a little bit of background. Last September, the Hamilton County Land Bank agreed to buy dozens of properties in Sedamsville owned by longtime landlord John Klosterman. Can you tell us just a little bit about the city's history with him and what led to this? Yeah, so these properties that we're talking about have been owned by this uh, property owner for three or four decades at this at this point. They have been in disrepair for the better part of those three or four decades. Um and the city has been accumulating fines and you know, orders against these buildings for a number of years, plus decades at this stage. Um, and so the city came in and sued the landlord um, because that just is not acceptable in any of our neighborhoods. Uh, and it has, uh, that was, I mean, that was years ago that this process began. And it, it's a long, cumbersome, clunky process that finally got to a point where um, they were able to work with the port to step in to acquire the properties. And um, even then, it has been a long and cumbersome and clunky process that, you, that we obviously still see as playing out in the court system at this stage. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the city prosecuted Mr. Klosterman for property code violations, and he was jailed. What's the city's hope for these buildings in the neighborhood long term? Well, I think it's also important to mention that Mr. Klosterman's also been sued by the federal government. Yes. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, accusations going against him. I mean, this this is not a good situation at all for the neighborhood of Sedamsville, and I'm proud of the city for stepping in. Um, I'm not proud of how long it's taken, but that you know, the, our legal systems are designed this way. Um, well, the goal for the neighborhood is any neighborhood's objective. You, know, you don't want a neighborhood that arguably has a slumlord controlling the majority of it that isn't investing in it, that is doing illegal things. I mean, if you read the federal lawsuit against him, I mean, there are horrible things that are happening in this neighborhood. Uh, removing that, first and foremost, is the most critical component. Secondly, fix these buildings up. I mean, there are buildings in Sedanville I've heard that don't even have running water mm-hmm. in them. Um, horrible, horrible conditions that in no way should be acceptable in the city of Cincinnati in the 21st century. I want to get into some of those uh, legal issues that you mentioned. We should say there also was a 2020 consent decree that permanently enjoins Mr. Klosterman from directly or indirectly performing any property management responsibilities at any residential property. That was the result of a case brought by federal prosecutors for what they described as Mr. Klosterman's heinous and pervasive sexual harassment of women who rented from him. Uh, Mr. Klosterman did agree to pay $167,000 in damages to 20 women, but he told WCPO9's I-team last year that he denies the allegations and that it was all part of an effort to get him out of the rental housing business. So that's the history, but there are new problems. And Madeline, I want to talk to you about that. Just recently, a number of tenants in these properties got a notice to vacate. Tell us how many people got these notices. Well, we had heard anecdotally from the residents that we spoke to that it was um, over 20 tenants had received these. We were able to get in touch with a representative for the receiver who confirmed that all the tenants there had received them. And at his last check, it was around 20. 
Mm. And you t- you mentioned you talked to a representative for the receiver who now controls these properties. What did that representative tell you about, about why these notices were issued? Well, that was, of course, the big question is why is this happening right now? There was, you know, initially some concern among residents that this had to do with a changeover in property management companies. Um, That's not the case. The representative for the receiver said they were simply acting on the receiver's behalf, and he said he made that decision now because he decided the cost of continuing to have the tenants exceeded the income that was available to maintain the properties. Because these tenants were on a month-to-month lease, he said they were within their rights to terminate them. Mm. I want to mention we at Cincinnati Edition also reached out to the receiver, and he declined to be on the program. He referred us to his response in an article that the Cincinnati Inquirer published, which reflected exactly what Madeline just described. Um, Councilmember Walsh, is this what the city expects when a receiver is appointed in a case like this? I mean, I thought the whole idea was to stabilize a situation. I mean, you're right about what the goal and objective is, but I think there's some more context that is important here. Uh, one, when there's a receiver who's appointed, they're responsible for the properties, but it's actually my understanding that Mr. Klosterman still owns these properties mm-hmm. to this day. Um, that is an important caveat to what's going on. Um, when the receiver was appointed, it was everyone's understanding, this is my understanding at this stage, is that uh, the deal wouldn't be closed relatively quickly. And we'd be able to move forward with the receiver temporarily holding these properties and then the Port Authority acquiring them, being able to renovate them, upgrade them, get them up to code, and um, be able to help the citizens that were in there. And that's why the Port exists. That's why they're a great community partner. Um, what happened, uh, which is getting missed here, is that Mr. Klosterman has continually filed lawsuits um, that I think are getting to the point of vexatious, where they are delaying the ability to even close on these properties. And so the receiver, um, you know, the situation that is happening right now is unacceptable, and the city is actively working. I, I talked to the city manager prior to this. Uh, the city is actively working to resolve the situation for the betterment of the tenants. Um, but the receiver entered into this under one understanding that has been delayed and drawn out into an extreme situation at this stage. Um, the port expected to be able to get into this much earlier than they have. Um, it's easy to say that the situation is between the receiver and the port. The situation's not. The situation is that they hostage for decades and is continuing to hold the neighborhood hostage. And right now, because of his actions, is delaying the ability for the port and the city to be able to get in there and actually help these tenants. These tenants are being hurt because this man is not getting out of the way and continuing to cause problems for this neighborhood. And we, as a city, cannot accept that. We cannot tolerate that. And I know that the city is working actively right now with the port and other players to actually have a positive impact for the neighborhood of Sadamsville. Mm. Um, it's really unfortunate what's happening, uh, but we have to use this to make a betterment for the neighborhood as a whole and to help everyone that's living there right now. Well, I do want to talk about that in more detail. Madeline, I first want to talk to you because you talked to several residents. Um, if you don't mind, I want to hear first from one of the people you talked to, Tara Weber-Jernigan. It's just extremely stressful trying to get everything together mental breakdowns, trying to reach out to ask for help. You also talked to Angel Strunk. Let's hear what she had to tell you. I'm happy where I live, so, and pay the rent on time. With the housing market, everything is like almost double what I'm paying here. So it's going to be kind of um, a problem to find a place within 30 days to save up a deposit and pay a first month's rent. So, Madeline, tell us more about how difficult it is for these families in this housing market in particular. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you heard it there from Angel Strunk. The big concern for most of the residents we spoke to is just the amount of time. They had slightly over 30 days, um, they're being told, where they received this notice on February 23rd and are told that they have to vacate their homes, some of which, you know, have lived in these homes for, uh, you know, multiple years, 10-plus years. They've got to be out March 31st. And like you heard her mention, it's that act of finding a new place to live when you've got housing costs that are potentially higher than what you're paying now. It's saving up that deposit for first month's rent and then simultaneously continuing to pay your rent here. It's just not a lot of time to gather that money to find a new situation and then move all your belongings somewhere else. And one of the biggest concerns we heard was from parents who have kids in school about finding a place that's near that school so they don't have to uproot their families as well. Mm. We're talking with Cincinnati City Council Member Seth Walsh and WCPO9 reporter Madeline Audley about how a court-appointed receiver has given some Sedamsville residents 30 days to leave their homes. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100 or emailing talk at wvxu.org. We do have a caller on the line. Nick, thank you so much for calling. What is your question or comment? Yes, hello, Lucy. Thank you. Uh, my comment or question is for either guest on your program right now. I was wondering what their thoughts were regarding um, this housing market situation uh, for the idea um, for there to be, like, a, a tenant unionization. Um, would this be something that the guests would recommend for the, the residents in the Sudansville situation right now or even for um, city residents in Cincinnati Nation or, like, citywide? Hmm. Um, thank you. Thanks for that question, Nick. What do you think, Council Member Walsh? I will ask you that one. Yeah, so for the <clears throat> residents that, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, for the residents that are in Sedamsville, the city is actively working in, in conversations with the receiver right now to resolve this issue for, again, for everyone's betterment. Um, so please stay tuned on that. We're going to have more updates and information, but I know this has been a hot topic. And thank you, Madeline and the Inquirer, for raising this issue in the first place, because since that article broke, um, this has been the top priority that's been going on. Um, if, so with the neighborhoods of Sedamsville, there's a lot of work going on right now to protect. Uh, for the city as a whole, um, I want to give a shout out to Councilwoman Mika Owens, who's actually working on the Tenant Bill of Rights right now. Um, and that's something that I think is really important is that um, you know, we we have a lot of renters in the city of Cincinnati, including myself. How do we protect them? How do we ensure that situations like this don't happen? Um, how do we, uh, what can we do to actually ensure that they are, there are rights? Because oftentimes situations like this arise uh, and there's nothing that we can do on the legal side because there's no lease. Um, how do we enshrine guaranteed rights on that side? And uh, I know Councilwoman Owens is working on that. I'm sure more information is going to come out here soon. I would definitely encourage Nick to, for you to reach out to Councilwoman Owens and be part of that conversation because it's going to be really critical as we heat up into the summer here. How can we really do this right? Nick, does that answer your question? I'm going to say yes. Thank you so much for calling, Nick. So, Councilmember Walsh, you started to talk about uh, a little bit about what's been taking so long to get this ownership transferred. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? What are these legal challenges that have just delayed the sale of this property to the port? Yes, yeah, so my understanding... Um, and I'll refer to the the port for any further comments they want to make on this. But my understanding is that because there was this deal struck where the port stepped in, in this, for the city on the litigation side, um, they were moving toward closing. And because the uh, landlord is continuing to file lawsuits uh, that are uh, not 
you know, that appear to just be based in whatever it takes to delay and slow this down. Um, it is making it difficult for legally to be able to secure the title to these properties and to actually close the property deal. Um, that is, I mean, the good, this is a double-edged sword here. So one, it protects residents from, you know, the government coming in and just taking your property. Uh, unfortunately, it is being exploited right now by a landlord and he, the it's not the port that's being hurt. It is people. You just heard the, you know, these individuals telling their story about how this is hurting them and how this is a negative consequence. Um, and it is because this man doesn't want to relinquish his hold and the fact that he's holding this neighborhood hostage and has held him hostage for 30 plus years. He is not letting go and not letting the proper authorities come in and actually take care of these buildings and take care of these people that are living there that have called it home for years. Um, and so we're stuck in a situation now where it just keeps dragging on and on and on until these lawsuits are settled that it's impossible to close on it. And so that's where the city has to get creative and how we can step in and be helpful. Yeah. And so what's the uh, incentive for Mr. Klosterman to, to do this? Does he continue to get rental income as long as he owns the properties? Is that the incentive? No. Uh, to my understanding, the receiver is the one who's receiving the rental income, uh, which w was talked about here a minute ago. It's kind of where the income and the expenses are not right. matching each other. Um his incentive is purely, I mean, you'd have to ask him what his incentive is, but it, it appears to just be to delay this and to drag it out and to keep the neighborhood held hostage. And uh, that's not acceptable in any capacity. Mm. Madeline, I know you contacted the port about this too. What did you hear from them? Uh, well, they confirmed what we've been discussing already this half hour is that the deal has not been finalized. It's been held up in court. We you know, reviewed court records in our initial reporting to confirm that. Um, so I was told they could not comment on ongoing litigation. They did mention to me that this was not their decision. They were working to find a favorable resolution for the tenants as soon as possible, but they also commented that a solution could not be reached until they actually own the property. Mm. I will let our listeners know that uh, Cincinnati Edition reached out to the port to invite them to be on the program. A uh, spokesman for the port said that they uh, wouldn't be able to do that because they're involved in active litigation, which Councilmember Walsh has just, just talked about. So, Councilmember Walsh, tell us more. What, if anything, can the city do for these tenants? Can you give us any more idea of what sort of conversations are happening with the receiver? I mean, these tenants sound desperate. You know, it's it's March is, is slipping by pretty quickly. Yeah. So I, I don't want to speak for the city administration until they announce what they've been able to, <clears throat> excuse me, until they've announced what they've been able to come to and, and conclude for this situation. But speaking as an outsider and, and kind of knowing where some of the conversations are, uh, the objective is to not have these tenants forced to leave their properties at, at the end of the month. Um, that is it, plain and simple. It's also to ensure that the properties they are living in are quality properties. You, you don't want to fight to ensure people stay in a house if it's not a place that people should be living in the first place. So I think it's a double-edged uh, attack that we that we have going on here. One is to ensure the properties are have actually been maintained as the receiver claims that they've maintained them to a quality that individuals can continue to live in them. Um, if not, how do we help these tenants move out as we would any other tenant that's in a property that we would deem not to be livable? Um, two, those that can still stay in their properties, how do we work with the receiver to ensure that those individuals can stay in their properties? What does that take on the city side? How do we get creative in being able to solve that? Because as the port said in their, their statement there, the port can't come in and do anything until they own these properties. And that's where the city has their responsibility right now. Um, we have to work with the receiver, recognize their uh, their limitations, um, 
at the end of the day, if they're losing money, that's an issue. Um, we also have to push the receiver to make sure that it's not just saying, oh, I'm losing money and the properties aren't in good condition. Um, so there's a balancing act there, and that's why I'm going to let the administration comment on ultimately what the final decisions are. But I know those are the objectives, uh, is that we are not having these tenants forced to be moved out. And if they do move out, it is because those buildings are not buildings they should be in in the first place. And how do we then help them get to a home that they can continue to live in and not have an exorbitant rent increase? Mm. Madeline, when you talk to the residents, I know they, they showed you some of these notices to vacate they got. And my understanding is they were given 30 days to move or an eviction would be filed. Um, and we all know how, how devastating an eviction can be, how can, it can affect where you can move, what kind of place you can live in, you know, all those things. What did I understand that you asked the receiver if, if he might be willing to give these tenants more time? What did he tell you about that? Right. And of course, that's, you know, the number one question that people in this area are thinking about right now is if this is going to happen in the first place, how can we get more time so that we don't have to navigate some of those obstacles that have, you know, we've discussed already this half hour? Um, He told me he didn't want to comment on that. It wasn't so much of a shutdown as it was, I don't want to comment on that through a reporter, because if that's a conversation we're going to have, that needs to be a conversation that we have directly with the residents. I did check in with all the residents that we spoke to and that you heard in our story yesterday. And as of last check, they've told me that so far they've heard nothing's changed. Mm. Councilmember Walsh, can you tell us any more about the port's intentions with these properties? We've talked about how ultimately the port will be acquiring these, but what's the plan? What's the what's the vision? Uh, I don't know the exact vision for it. I know that the first step is, you know, kind of the point I just made there. What is the condition of these properties as they are right now? Um, the city would not be doing this lawsuit if they've been being upkept in a in a quality way that people should be living in them and would enjoy them immediately. Um, so that is question number one. What is the real condition? I actually started my career working in Sedamsville. I I know a lot of the rumors that that swirl around Sedamsville about the condition of these properties. The port's going to have their hands full immediately if those rumors are even half correct about identifying, assessing, and, and figuring out what the building stock is, You know where they can immediately be able to uh, put their money. Um, from there, I imagine that's going to that's going to tell them what the plan and the game plan is. Uh, Sedamsville itself, I'll say this, having started my career there, the the answer to Sedamsville is not just going to be how do you fix up you know twenty plus properties. Uh, the answer to Sedamsville is going to be a holistic community plan. It, it's a small neighborhood. I think it's the second smallest in the city of Cincinnati. It's about three streets, but it does require us to get creative and how we can really solve it. Because if we can solve it, if we can really creatively solve Sedamsville in a way where the residents aren't being displaced, but we can bring some economic activity back to it that once was there in the 1930s and 40s before River Road expanded. Um, you can see the Our Lady Perpetual Help Church coming to life again. You can see the Benjamin Harrison Schoolhouse, which is this gorgeous red brick building you see coming uh, east on River Road. You can see that becoming a great place for people to live and play. Um, it's surrounded by parks. I think there's five parks within one mile of Sedamsville. It, it's an incredible neighborhood. It's an incredible opportunity. The people that live there have, you know, can see the potential of it. Um, I think the port sees that potential as well, um, but they need to assess you know, what, they're, what they're getting with this acquisition first before they really lay out a plan. And I think the city's uh, ready to work with them to make sure that that plan uh, is one, again, where everyone's benefiting in the neighborhood and one that also makes Sedamsville a neighborhood everyone in the city knows uh, for the right reasons. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the size of Sedamsville with, with such a small neighborhood. It's worth pointing out that although dealing with these properties won't, won't solve everything, that's a huge chunk of the neighborhood, isn't it, that we're, that we're talking about? here? 
Yeah, I think I did the math when I worked there, and, and the properties this uh, individual owned were over 50% in that area. So it is a huge swath of the neighborhood, and it has such tremendous potential to really give Sadamsel hope and a future again for what their vision is. Um, that's why this is so critical. The worst thing that could possibly happen here is that the receivership fails, the port can't get the deal closed, and this these properties go back to the landlord. He has shown for 30 years, he's not in this, he's showing now, he's not in this for the neighborhood of Sedamsville. He's definitely not in this for the individuals in Sedamsville. He's in it for himself. Uh, we need to step in for the betterment of Sedamsville. The port is going to be a great partner in that. The port, I mean, they're the right partner to choose for this Um I'm excited to see what that future is, but we cannot let this get back to the current landlord because he is the reason Sedamsville is where it is right now. Well, we're talking about this, about Sedamsville in particular, but I know you've got a, a very, um, you take a very broad look at these issues across the city. How big a problem are landlords like this uh, throughout our, our city, Cincinnati's neighborhoods? I mean, are, are there other folks out there who are, who are you know, acting in similar ways? Yeah, I mean, so I, my long tenure of, I think, 11 weeks now on city council, I think we've sued uh, three, two or three slum lo- uh, landlords at this point. Uh, I've, I'm sure there are more that are on the way. I mean, you all you have to do is go to a neighborhood, go to a community council. You'll hear where who the problem is in each of these neighborhoods. It is a big problem that faces all of Cincinnati. It's a big part of the reason why we're having this housing crisis right now. Um, these are not individuals that are in it to make sure that everyone's got a quality place to live and that the rents are affordable. These are individuals that will give you the worst possible place to live and at the highest possible rent. Um, that is a problem. That is what we have to fix. And I think the city is taking a very proactive step by going after these bad faith individuals. But we're going after the worst of the worst right now. There are still people that just haven't qualified to be the worst of the worst. And we have to continue to work and improve on that. Um, I know this council, I know this administration is committed to that. We're going to continue to work on that because um, that's how we're going to be able to start solving this affordable housing crisis and the housing crisis throughout all of Cincinnati. Mm. And is there anything the city can do policy-wise to prevent something like this from happening again, to specifically prevent what's happening in Sedamsville with this receiver from, from happening again? I think the answer is yes. Uh, what those specific policies are, it's it's not going to be a silver bullet. There's not going to be one policy I can go back to my office and write right now and we pass at the end of the day and call it a good day. It's going to be a lot of these policies that are put into place. And I think, you know, credit to this council administration over the last year, um, they, they've been putting a lot of these things in place to ensure that we are positioned well for how we go forward. Um, you look at neighborhoods uh, that we need to build strong CDCs that can step in immediately, that Those can be community leaders. development corporations. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, nonprofits that are there for the betterment of the neighborhood that can step in and be the receivers, that have the capacity to be the receivers, to immediately step in and solve these problems, to immediately be there and to know when that notice goes out so they can alert the appropriate authorities. Um, so that, I mean, that's one area. There's a lot of policies on the city side. There's a lot of policies on the state side we need to push so that we can actually step in and be more forceful. Um, on the judicial side, you know, these processes, they're long, they're clunky, they drag on and on and on. But this one is dragging on um, at the very end. We need policies that allow us to actually get it close because it's clear this is a bad faith actor. And this mm-hmm. bad faith actor is holding up a whole neighborhood at this point. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work we got to do. Mm. Well, I've been talking <clears throat> with Cincinnati City Council member Seth Walsh and WCPO9 reporter Madeline Ottilie. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> You've been listening to Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. Our producer is Selena Reeder. Associate producer is Asia Johnson. Technical director is Derek Smith. If you miss our program live, you can subscribe to Cincinnati Edition wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find archives of our program on our website, wvxu.org. I'm Lucy May. Thanks so much for listening.